It's not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It was many years ago now that St. Paul's was the Christian stop on what is known as the Youth Interfaith Tour in Oklahoma City. It's been a tradition that the Oklahoma Conference of Churches, in partnership with other groups in town, sponsor an event where teenagers from all different sorts of communities of faith would, on a Sunday afternoon, they'd hop on rented buses so they could all be together and mixed up, and they would visit three different communities of faith, each from different religions. Now, to be sure, not three different Christian denominations, but three different religions. I say that because as I've taught teenagers these past 30-odd years, I see them struggling with this nuance. Presbyterians and Baptists are not different religions. Maybe. But they are different flavors, as I tend to use that word to try to help them imagine that. There are different flavors of the Christian tradition, but, but I digress. So the Youth Interfaith Tour would make three stops on that Sunday afternoon. An example, the first stop might be a mosque in town uh, for Islam, a second maybe a temple for the Hindu faith, and then there was usually every year, because it's a majority in our city, some stop on the Christian flavor. At each stop, the pastor, the rabbi, or the imam would give a talk, and usually they would pick a teenager from their group to say something to everybody. It was on one of those years that our cathedral was chosen as the Christian stop. And so we enlisted one of our high school students to give the presentation. Among other things, this is what he said. Are you ready? He said, one of the things I love about being an Episcopalian is that you can believe whatever you want and it doesn't matter. <laughs> I cringed. Now, to be fair to him, I think I understood what he was trying to convey, but he missed it. There are two theological concepts that I think would be helpful for you to know, and I, I would imagine that you already, most of you know them, but they would be helpful for you as you move along your journey as a follower of Jesus. The first one uh, again, I think you probably know this term. It's the term orthodoxy, which practically translated means right or correct belief. As an Episcopalian, you can say that you think God is best described as a giant spaghetti monster in the sky. But I assure you that would not be orthodox. Now, this is an extreme example. Uh, the delineation of what is right belief versus wrong is more nuanced than that in our community. And what our teenager on that day was trying to say is that our Episcopal experience of Christian faith tends to give each other a lot of leeway in those nuances of Christian thinking. Can I get an amen? amen. That's why a lot of us are here. Every Sunday, we recite together the Nicene Creed. In fact, we're going to do it right after my sermon to fix whatever I say in my sermon. 
the creed is the result of a fourth-century argument about these boundaries of correct belief. The creed was the winner in that argument. And I bet if we all met in the Welcome Center after church today and we had a chat about what each of you think about the Nicene Creed, it would demonstrate the freedom of thought that our teenager was trying to articulate to all the people in Oklahoma City. The second word that is just as useful, but I think used less in our discipleship, is the word orthopraxy. I guess that you can guess what this means. It means correct practice. And it's tied to personal or communal ethics and morality. It tries to answer the question, if we believe these things about God, how then shall we live? If we have learned about Jesus and it's had an effect on us and our thinking, then what are the implications for daily life? And just like orthodoxy, Episcopalians tend to give a greater latitude around these issues. Can you imagine the teenager getting up that day and saying, the thing I like about being an Episcopalian is that you can live however you want and it doesn't matter. Jesus, Yeshua, he was a master teacher. And this person who studies the Jewish law, it's called a lawyer in the story. He studies orthodoxy and orthopraxy in their tradition, comes to him and says, give me the bottom line. What is the most important teaching and or practice in our spiritual tradition? What does God really want? And Jesus' answer was not a surprise to the man because the question was not an unusual question. In fact, the man probably knew exactly what Jesus would say, and Jesus gave him a very common answer. He quotes portions of the Torah that have become a common bottom-line answer. What the man really wanted to ask was the follow-up question. Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus, he gives these big, beautiful abstractions. Love God with your whole being. Love your neighbor as yourself. Certainly these. But what the man really wants to know is, what does this really mean for my day-to-day -day life? And so Jesus tells this parable. It's a very well-known parable. Rooted in practical theology. And he makes the hero of the story a heretic. Someone who didn't have his beliefs and maybe some of his practice lined up exactly right. Samadhi. It's actually beautiful to say Samadhi, Samaritans. If you really want to understand Jesus and what he was up to, it is worth your time to do a deep dive into Samaritans. For Jews who were trying to, trying to live right, sincerely and earnestly, to think right, to be seen as right, you had to be careful having any friendships or associations with Samaritans. They were a group of people held under great suspicion. Now, the origins of this suspicion was centuries old, almost going back nearly a thousand years before Jesus. There had been this period of relative political, cultural, and religious unity in Israel known as the United Monarchy. 
sometimes called the United Kingdom, but that's, that's a different thing. Right? It was three successive kings that, according to the scriptures, reigned each for 40 years. King Saul, 40 years. King David, 40 years. King Solomon, 40 years. Now, I hope you're a little dubious about how neat and tidy these reigns of 40 years each was, but that's part of the point. This was religious history, and it had a certain poetic shape to it, an artistic shape to it. 120 years of relative togetherness and unity. It was toward the end of Solomon's reign that he basically drove this united kingdom into the ditch. An entirely separate sermon. And the united monarchy splits. And it splits into two hard kingdoms. A separate capital, different from Jerusalem, was established in the north. And eventually that region would become known as the area of It's a pop quiz. Samaria. Kingdom of Samaria. Now, part of what characterized this political split was the emergence of something called fertility religions. Trust me when I tell you that I can't share with you what that entailed. There's children in the room. But I can invite you to use your imagination and to do your own research. But it was very evocative, and as we say at school all the time, inappropriate. A large number of Jews at that time, particularly in the north, started to try to combine and to mix fertility, religious belief, and practice with their Judaism. And it made a mess. Now out of this formed a religious divide, and then there was the political divide, and eventually this geographical divide. And what resulted over centuries was sort of a subdued but still controversial hybrid of the two. It, it subdued, it calmed down. But it still was a little bit Jewish and a little bit of some crazy other stuff. And to help people understand, I sometimes describe Samaritans as hippie Jews. They were Jewish, to be sure, but their beliefs and practices were held under suspicion. You know, by proper Jews. And so when Jesus chooses to make a Samaritan the hero of a parable, a parable that he's using to work through the nuance of orthodoxy and orthopraxy, Jesus is teaching like a third order Jedi playing chess on a two level board. And I guarantee you it made the head of the guy who asked the question explode. So, Episcopal Christians, you, I think maybe we can't believe whatever we want. And I think maybe we can't live however we want. But Jesus is certainly prioritizing the discussion for us. If you feel like you might sometimes get orthodoxy and orthopraxy wrong from time to time, Jesus wants you to place your best thinking and your best energy and your best action in love, in action. And when you do that, 
I think you very well be, may be making up for all those times and places when you do sometimes get it wrong. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.